In this podcast, we dive into the world of club fitting. We are very fortunate to have John Sinclair. His shop is in Euless, Texas, on the grounds of my favorite golf course in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called Texas Star. John wears many hats, of course. Now, John sees himself first as a mental coach, then a teacher, and of course, a professional club fitter, which is the main reason why we have him on this show. Very, very excited to have spoken to John, and I'm excited for you to hear what he has to say. One thing, don't buy any clubs until you listen to this podcast. Thank you. All right, John, uh, please tell us who you are and just exactly what it is that you do. Uh, John Sinclair here at Sinclair's Golf Training Center in Euless, Texas, at a golf course called Texas Star. Um, I'm a golf coach. That's basically uh, what I do. I teach players, and then along with that, I became a fitter because I believe uh, if you're going to instruct people, you should also understand the clubs and and uh, know how they work and how they're going to affect the swing. And then uh, also got very heavily involved in 3D. Uh, Dr. Rob Neal got me started and then worked with Phil Cheatham and Dr. Sasha McKenzie on all the 3D stuff. And I have an AMM system, I've had gears uh, to just make sure I know what's going on with the golfer and that goes with the, the golf club. And then I, I met the guys at TPT in Switzerland and uh, got involved in the design of the TPT shaft and fitting. So now I'm kind of head up there fitting and uh, team up with uh, some good engineers there at TPT to design these new shafts that seem to be very good and they're winning out on tour. Are very nice. So why, why exactly do you do what you do? I mean, what exactly do you get out of the business that you're in? Well, mostly enjoyment. You know, I mean, that's, I wouldn't do it if I didn't like what I was doing. I mean, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't want to come here and help somebody play golf better, I'm going to quit and do something else. Right. And that's how I found, yeah, that's how I found golf. You know, I didn't necessarily like what I was doing at the time. And I always wanted to be a pro. And so I went out, saved my money, worked my butt off and uh, sponsored myself out trying to make it on the tour which ultimately I got tired of doing that and led me to teaching and here I am 22 years I guess into my teaching career and I still do it seven days a week so I guess I still like it but mostly it's just enjoyment and I have fun and you know people come in here we have fun or we're not going to do it so that's what I get out of it very nice right, so let's talk about the fitting I mean, why would a person consider getting fitted? For example, like a beginner, an intermediate golfer, an advanced golfer. Well, the old saying is, you know, the, the good players can hit anything, which the good cl- the good players can adjust to anything is what I would say. But even the best players in the world need the proper club to be able to play at their best. It needs to fit them. And that goes for your average uh, handicap, say a 25 handicap out there playing that goes down and gets his clubs fitted. And they need to have their clubs fitted. 
The problem with club thinning out there today is what'll happen is they usually make them long and really upright, trying to keep them from slicing it, and they're making them a club that actually causes the slice in itself. Because if they actually swung at it correctly, they hook it off the planet, and they don't want to see that, so they, it just exacerbates their slice. So having them properly fit and, and going and taking instruction so that you can work towards the proper fit is I think extremely important for every level player. You know, I, I get into these shafts, I got into these shafts for my tour players so that they could hit it straighter, they could hit it longer, they could hit it further without having to worry about the equipment failing them. And then your average golfer that comes over the top six of club in the ground, their fitting needs to reflect that. And if they're just, you know, somebody that's never going to take lessons and they're, they're you know, just out there, then having that upright club is not the end of the world. But if they're going to try to make themselves better, that upright club is going to eventually hurt them. And we don't want a club to perform well with a crappy swing when somebody's trying to get better. You know, I want the crappy swing to get a crappy result, and I want the good swing to get a good result. Right. And right. that's how you get people to change. <laughs> but all too often, we're trying to make you know, the good shot come out of the crappy swing. And and so that that's kind of a, you know, a give and take in the fitting world. And you go to these big box stores and that's pretty much where you're going to get. They're going to try to get the ball to go straight with the swing that you show them. And oftentimes they're coming over the top, sticking a toe in the ground. And so they make them super upright. So, you know, out there, if people are listening, they just need to make sure what is your goals? Are you just want to go out there and have fun and you're playing on the weekends, you're not working on your game. Go get fitted like that. If you're working on your game with your coach, make sure your fitter and your coach are on the same page. Because nothing drives me more crazy than, you know, like I sent a young man to uh, a fitter the other day and I said, tell him we want a 90 degree driver because I want you to hit it up in the air. I do not want you in a 10 and a half, 11, 12 degree driver because you're hitting down on it. I don't want you to hit down on it this thing up in the air well he came back with a 12 degree driver and i said you gotta take it back <laughs> you know i mean i couldn't believe that the fitter did that when we asked i said i want you to make a good swing and when you make that swing that we want it's gonna go good if you keep getting rewarded for this terrible swing you're gonna never change and so you know there's two sides of that coin you just got to know what the player needs and then you can fit them appropriately a 12 degree. <laughs> well, I mean, hit it fine when you, you know, you, you're hitting it five down and at 12 degrees, it was coming out okay. Yeah. But, you know, he also, you know, can't, you know, hit it as far as he wants. He can't figure out why he couldn't hit his driver. You know, he hits a seven iron, you know, 180 yards in the air. And then he hits his driver, you know, it was going like 225 and then rolling out. And then Good Lord. Hit one. Yeah. I mean, he had great swing speed. I mean, he should be hitting it over 300. And, yeah. You know, yeah. he's never going to do it with a 12-degree driver because he's if he ever swings level at it, not to mention just a couple degrees up, but if he ever swings level at it, that ball is going to go so high, he'll never do it again. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you know, you have to have both ends of it. If that's all that player is ever going to do, the 12-degree driver is perfect. But this is a guy that was actually wanting to become a scratch golfer. 
And you can't be a, a scratch golfer playing the back tees at 25 years old, hitting a 250 total. You know, I guess you could, but it'd be a lot harder. You know? right. It just makes it harder, especially the length of the courses nowadays. Right. Oh boy, that's a that's a crazy story. Um, I guess you probably got into the same question I was going to ask. So, as a a person who's thinking about getting fitted. Are there any questions that that person should ask themselves besides what you already mentioned before they come and see you? Um, like why exactly? Like what part of their game is weak or are they coming in to see you for length or accuracy or I mean, there are general yeah, questions know. they should ask themselves. Sure. They should, ask, they should know their goals. They okay. should know, you know, they should have some, if they're trying to get, really good some idea at least some written form of idea of where they're strong and weak and where they think they can improve and having a, a conversation with a fitter or even a coach for that matter and, and telling them what you want and having them help guide you towards the goals that you want is what it's all about if you go in for a fitting you should certainly ask the you know ask yourself these questions so you can provide the answers um you know i just had a just finished up with a gentleman in here that wanting to fix his three wood and he was hooking it a little bit and I'm like well what are we what are the goals what do we want out of a three wood you know what are we using it for is this to go into greens and stop or is this off the tee what exactly are we trying to use it for mm. so that's going to create a different fitting mm. you know if we want something to go high and soft where you know let's say somebody uh, an average speed swinger Uh, on tour would be like 113. You got some guys out there swinging, you know, 106. Well, they're going to have to have a, a three wood that goes into the green and stops. They're not hitting too many three woods off the tee. Whereas you have, a, you know, a powerful swinger that may need to hit a three wood off the tee to more control the distance than hit it as far as, as possible. And so they may need one that goes high and soft. And then the medium range guy probably needs one that'll scoot off the tee and because they're going to want one that maybe stops at 300 or 310 versus somebody that can hit it, you know, 330 or they fly it out there 280 and it spins and stops. So all those goals have to be factored in to, you know, what you want out of the club so your fitter can help you. You know, you just don't go, oh, well, I'm going to go get a three wood and it works or a five wood or, you know, what are you going to use it for? It's pretty easy on the driver because we're just trying to hit as far as possible. But the three wood has, you know, different uses or the five wood even, um, even hybrids have different uses for what the player actually needs it to do. So those things need to be told to the fitter. Right. Um, just on a side note, the one of the reasons I contacted you because I was, I, uh, what's that guy's, uh, Scott Fawcett is the guy that recommended your, uh, your fitting. He's on mm -hmm. a Twitter. So I think I sent him a, a question. I said, Hey, who's a, who's a good fitter in the, the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I believe he said you and another spot over in Plano, I think, but I believe you're closer to me. Um, okay. So yeah. I, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Scott has a, a great system with the decade system at getting players to, you know, put their dispersion over a certain place, you know, in the fairways and the greens and stuff like that. And that 
goes straight into helping people like me as fitters help the players. If we can get them to have a consistent dispersion where they can understand it and then use those stats like what Scott puts out there, we can really help them score because they can have a consistent club and then they can understand what the dispersion will give them and then place it properly and aim properly out there on the golf course. So uh, Scott's system works pretty good into uh, us fitters and coaches, to be honest. Yeah, it. Um, I followed him, and one of the reasons why I started looking to get fitted, which I haven't actually got, I was fitted from my irons from uh, at Ping. Mm -hmm. My driver I just picked up, and I switched the shaft. But anyway, off the tee, when I'm having trouble with my driver, I just put it out and then I used my five wood. Um, but I started following Scott and then he said, start using your driver. So I just started actually hitting my driver a lot more, almost exclusively on all the par fours. Before that, I, I would use my five wood. So now that's leading me to go get fitted for the driver because I wasn't really using it that much. So I've kind of changed our perspective, I guess, after following Scott. But anyway... Let's move on. There's something I always wondered about before I got come to see you or another fitter. Does the club head speed determine? I wonder if that's a myth. Determine the shaft flex that a person should naturally get. Is that a myth or does it? Really, for me personally, I I've, the torque is what matters to me. I like low torque, but I can't seem to figure out. If there's a club out there that has a low torque and maybe more flexible than an extra stiff, because I went to an extra stiff because of the torque without knowing what I'm doing yeah. exactly. So Yeah, and that's, uh, there's a little bit, yes, there is a myth out there that, that flex, you know, people think uh, flex will make the ball go left. And that's not true. And, and we've proven that over and over on uh, robots and then on players. You can read a study by Dr. Sasha McKenzie that uh, put higher flex clubs. I think he, in the study, I think he actually was telling them they were looking at shoes while he was having these people swing. He had no idea uh, that the shaft, he was really looking at the shaft. Oh. I, I believe it was shoes. And so he had them grayed out and, and 100, I think it was way up there. I can't, I can't remember the exact number, but when the player had a more flexible shaft, it went to the right. It didn't hook it. So, you know, flex, that's a, I think that's a misnomer. People, you know, they take the logical idea, well, the club's going to go into lead more and then it hits up on it more and the face turns left more. Well, people don't swing that way. You know, they, the handle is going to get up there with it and they're going to control that face a little bit. If anything, the more flexible shaft, like you alluded to, will have a higher torque. And I've found in my studies that a higher torque will tend to move your dispersion to the right and a lower torque will tend to move your dispersion to the left. Now uh -huh. it doesn't, I'm not talking about draws and fades and stuff like that. Like I'm a, I'm strictly pretty much a fader off the tee. And if I get too high a torque, that ball will go too far to the right. Uh -huh. So I like to have flex in the shaft and I like to have a lower torque. And Thus was born TPT can actually make a pretty flexible shaft with a very low torque. And I think that's really helped, but that's not for everybody. 
Some people need that space, you know, opening a little bit so it doesn't shut on them. And then you got to find the, the abnormal players that actually feel, you know, I work with one tour, very highly known tour player, um, that when he feels that face open, it's shut. So when, and then he'll hook the crap out of it because he's feeling it in the swing somehow and he shuts it. So, you know, sometimes people will do the opposite because we're human and we can adjust. But if we we're just strictly talking about torque, torque will move things to the right the higher it gets and move things to the left the lower it gets. And then the way that most people make their shafts, well, you go up and you get stiffer to get lower torque. And then for someone that sounds like you, I'm not sure yet because I haven't seen you, but um, if we can add in the flex to help you get a better kick at the bottom and more speed at the bottom, then we can modify that torque to help it go straight instead of you having to just go to an X flex because it's a lower torque. That, that, those days are over and, and TPT has a system that can actually do that. And I've worked really hard over the last five years getting them to understand that that's what we need. Because um, most players, in my opinion, play a shaft that is too stiff. And if we can get them that little bit extra kick, we can gain them some pretty significant yardage. A lot of times, you know, what that kick will do is add a little loss to the dynamic loss to the club at impact. So we can play some, you know, for some people, some lower loss and get that ball compression tighter and really get them some ball speed. So that's kind of where the trick is. is get, get spin loss to where we can compress that ball and get them a higher ball speed. Cause forget the club head speed, it's the ball speed. So I certainly don't look at flex and club head speed. That doesn't make any sense to me. Cause I have players in a TPT that swing an 18 series, swinging 120 miles an hour, and I'll have them swinging a 14, which is a much stiffer um, shaft. So the 18 would be a soft regular. Okay, so that people don't understand. And when you come in here, I'm not going to tell you what flex you're hitting because I don't want you to have pre, you know, a predisposed <laughs> bias That's towards something. And and what was so interesting when I first started to. Uh, work with TPT where we can actually isolate flex and torque and the shafts will come out you know the same so we can isolate these parameters and see what players do it and I started only with PGA Tour players and the players would call the shaft loose when it had a higher torque when I would give them more flex with the lower torque they would always tell me it got stiffer and so it was pretty evident on there was only a couple of players that could pick out the difference between the flex and the torque, but they were highly educated people that have really put their minds and souls into their shafts. Most of the players like, here, let me hit it and it feels good or it doesn't. And those players, it was, you know, 90% of them would feel the loose torque and call it loose or a weak shaft. And as soon as you gave them a tighter torque and the bottom was more stable, you could give them a lot more flex and we could really see some ball speeds get up um, and even some swing speeds. I mean, and when I, when I'm focusing so hard on the ball speed is if we can compress that ball better and, and we can get that ball speed up, you know, everybody's going to gain yards if they can get more ball speed. That's, that's really what matters. Right. Right. You know, so we, we can really optimize the, the club, you know, if, if we can get the player to 
get that dynamic loft and the, the attack angle where we want it and compress that ball the way we want it. And then most importantly, it was what people don't look at is the land angle of the ball needs to get in the right spot too. Because if it comes in too high, it doesn't roll. If it comes in too low, it doesn't fly far enough. So we try to get it. You know, most players, I try to get it the maximum flight with the maximum roll. And then occasionally you'll have a player that's super high swing speed where what we want to do is have it come in a little higher so it doesn't roll out. And so we'll have different uh, land angles for different swing speeds, I would say. I would look at it that way. So somebody that's swinging 70 miles an hour, I'm going to have them have a much lower land angle than somebody swinging 120, 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Can you just quickly explain the difference between what exactly is the flex versus the torque? Because some people... I understand what it is. I believe at least what I think torque is, is more the twisting of the club versus the flex. Is that correct? Correct. correct. Okay. That's a hundred percent. So the flex would be how much we'll just say, if we're looking at the, the club, you know, from your golfer's view, looking down the flex would be how much that club would bend forward, bend backward, droop down or droop up, come up, you know, so that's the flex of the club bending. And then the torque is how much that twist, that head is twisting side to side. So more rotationally around the grip versus the overall shaft bending. Ah. So flex is the bend and torque is the twist. So, okay. So, wow. So that would make sense that the torque is what affects the ball to go either left or right. Is that what we're... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's definitely, a, it's, it's really what a lot of players are feeling, you know, when you're coming. You can imagine you're twisting that club. I mean, down the, the shaft on a tour player down at the bottom at impact, that club is actually rotating, let's just say, anywhere from 1,200 to 2,500 degrees per second. So you can imagine that club is twisting at that rate. So you're going to feel that head if it's twisting that shaft or holding it back. And so people get a lot of feel out of torque. Mm. And the bend is that little thing you'll feel at the bottom when you kind of feel like, man, I felt that club kick through. A mm. lot of people will feel that part of the flex. They're at the top of the swing. When they change directions, they can feel it bend in the, at the top of the swing. Um, they're feeling more the flex of the shaft. But most of the time in the downswing, they seem to be more reacting uh, to the torque as, as, as far as them and their feedback to me. Okay. okay. All right. So once a person gets fitted, uh, this is a question of one of my listeners. Do they need to get fitted? Uh, I mean, do ever do they ever get need to get fitted, or is it all depending on how their game is improving? And you're talking about refitting, like you go right. Get like let's say I get fitted go... for a set of irons today, and within a year, should I get come back and get refitted, or how does that work? Um, certainly for younger players that are growing at a fast rate, you know, I kind of tell the parents, you know, I try to make it where it lasts a little long, but all of a sudden you get a kid that swings 100 miles an hour, and then. Six months later, he's swinging 110. That's oh, tough, geez. right? 
So, That's a lot. you know, yeah, I mean, well, they grow fast, right? I mean, you, you know, yeah. the, the, they just all of a sudden, you know, and you never know when that spurt's going to come, right? It could come their first year in college. It could come in high school. It could come, you know, whenever it, it comes. So certainly as a, a, a kid is growing, they're going to need to be refitted uh, more often. Okay. Uh, okay. Your general, you know, your adults, stuff like that. I mean, you know, I still got some of my tour players playing three generations clubs ago. You know, okay. I mean, because it works, right? Okay. And it's not as if we're not always testing to see if something's better, but doesn't necessarily mean you know somebody gets a pretty good driver fitting and they're, you know, what can the technology do that's going to make that that much better? In fact, the more you hit your driver especially in the center of the face, the faster it's going to get until it breaks. So if you got a very well-fit driver, it, you're liable to have that for quite a while unless you suddenly got your technique in a way that you're swinging faster or you changed your technique where you're coming at the ball a little different. You know, that's when most adults are going to see the need to get refitted is when they're working on their swing. And, you know, like that guy that I was talking about, he keeps playing that 12 degree driver. I mean, he needs to be refitted tomorrow, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it might work for a while, but as soon as he, if he ever fixed that swing, he could never play that driver. So he would need it pretty fast. I was trying to go the other way with it and go, I already know that we're going. And it wouldn't be, you know, I even told him, I mean, this nine degree may not be right when we get where we're going. But at least it's going to be closer to right as we move that direction. And, and whatever time his swing is where we want it, we may have to refit him at that time to, to fine tune it. Um, so, you know, there's, but if you get one and your swing's pretty set and you're hitting and it's fine, you're probably going to use that driver until you just decide you want another one or it breaks. Well, okay, so along those lines, this is. I did this many years ago, and I just want your opinion on it. So, you know, these guys like me, we go to the range, and we hit this driver over and over again. I was told, at least I went to the shop, and this guy at the shop said, Hey, you dented your driver. You've been hitting golf balls at the range again? And I said, Yes. What's what's your opinion on that? It's, Is there a limit that we should we should we hit like 10 balls with the driver even though we're trying to work on the driver? I mean, are those golf balls at Riverside that hard? <laughs> I guess they could be. Um, okay. It depends on, I mean, you have to know the range ball and you can certainly find out, you know, those some of those range balls that are super hard, you know, you can definitely damage your driver, especially if you have any kind of high swing speed. Okay. Um, and if it's cold outside, certainly for sure. You know, because mm. those balls get rock hard when it's, you know, you're out there and they've been sitting overnight and it's been 30 degrees and all of a sudden you're out there and, <laughs> and, and hitting them, you know, they That's can definitely right. damage the driver. That's uh, right. You know, and, you know, like here, I use a, uh, a ball. I'm not going to get into brands and stuff. People can figure yeah. that out for themselves. But the, uh, I use a ball that it's not going to hurt. Now I have players that come in and go, oh my God, those range balls are going to hurt. But I know the balls that we use, it's not going to do that. Okay. Um, you know, certainly if you hit, you know, I want my players practicing, not necessarily hitting, you know, 400 drivers like Bryson in one hour, but <laughs> I want certainly them practicing and, and we're going to certainly recommend that they practice 
with a ball that's not going to damage their driver. But it is true, uh, those range balls can most certainly damage your driver. But for the most part, range balls are designed, they usually spin more, and a lot of those will be a little bit softer. Okay, okay. You know, and and overall, you know, if you go to a quality range, they're going to have pretty good range balls, and you're probably going to be pretty safe. Okay. As, as far as that goes to worry about practicing your driver and, and stuff. I mean, tour players break their drivers all the time and they don't ever hit the bad range balls, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, just how much you hit it is going to wear out. But you always know a driver for the most part right before it breaks because all of a sudden you start hitting it further than you've ever hit it before. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, within a couple of weeks, you know you're about to... You know, you're really getting benefit from the springy face, and it goes. So, you know, a lot of my players will know because all of a sudden they're hitting it 20 yards further, and we go, uh-oh. You know, well, we'll ride it until she breaks. Oh, wow. And uh, it, it's usually within a couple of weeks of that happening, it uh, will break. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so after a fitting, I'm going to kind of get into the some of the – the mental side of this. So after a person gets fitting or fitted, how should they manage their expectations? I mean, it, should they manage their expectations? I mean, once you get fitted for a drive, for example, what should you expect? It to work. Okay. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I would say I, I had that conversation. I had a, a fitter in here this morning from Korea. And he's measuring, he's managing uh, a bunch of people from Korea. And I said, you know, come in here and you fit a driver. You ought to be able, you don't get, you shouldn't have to get used to it. Huh. You should be able to go straight out to the tee and play with it and it'd be better. You know, or at least the same if you're just the guy that's wanting to get a new driver because it's new. And we fit, it, fit you in it and it's as, as good as what you have. But why wouldn't it should work you don't have to go get used to it if you're having to get used to it it wasn't the right club so <laughs> the way i do some of my fittings and what i explained to him is i'll probably know what shaft is right for you within a few and what i'll start doing is giving you different ones to kind of you know confuse the system a little bit ones that i know you can't hit and then I give you back the one that I believe is right. You should hit it good. And that should happen on, you know, unless you made some weird swing on your first swing, it's happen on the first swing for sure by the second swing. So if you go get fitted, you should be able to go out to the course and, and play with it. Now, that being said, if you go out there with this expectation that, you know, I'm going to shoot zero today because <laughs> I got this new driver and, you know, You'll probably hit it all over the place, so it's not the club's fault. But as a as a as a general rule, I mean, it should work. I mean, you should be able. You know, I had, a couple of years ago, I had a guy in here with his dad, and you know, he had to go qualify for I can't remember what it was. I think it was a Texas State opener, or maybe it was a Corn Fairy event. I don't know. But um, he comes in here and he he hits his driver and we're doing a full bag fitting and I think this is on a Saturday or Friday and the qualifier was on a Monday and you know fit his driver and he's hitting it straighter and flying it about 10-12 yards further and I'm like okay take his driver out this one goes in we did the three with that's good we get to his irons and we're going between these irons 
I guess the blades and his ones that he had in there, some cavity backs, and the, clearly the blades were like very consistent at where they were landing. I can't remember the yardage, but you know they were landing within four or five yards every time of the same distance, and then his other ones might have been ten yards. And so I said, "Well, those are out of dad's going. Oh my God, he can't change everything." You know, he's got to play on Sunday. He's got to play Monday. He can't just change everything. I said, what do you mean he can't change? These are better. <laughs> you know, I mean, what do you mean he can't change? He should, you know, I said, what is he going to be thinking on the first hole? And I know the course he was playing. I remember that one. I said, this driver, he could drive the green. His other driver, he's going to be 50 yards short. So what do you mean? Is he going to be standing there with his old driver saying, I wish I had my new one? <laughs> Right, and if he was standing with his eight iron out there, and he had a hundred and whatever the number was, say it's one hundred and sixty-four yards, and he hit this thing one hundred and sixty-four yards five times in a row, and the other five he hit it within two yards of one sixty-four, and he gets one sixty-four. Is he going to want the eight iron that went one seventy or one fifty-five, or is he going to want that one? You know, I mean, so that's their expectation. I mean, if you look at it and it performs and you mentally go through the same process it should perform or it wasn't right but if you have you know you know delusions of grandeur out there then you're liable going to fail no matter what you have but but i would want the club holding in my hand that i felt the most confident with. and if that's one that i got fit an hour ago and i'm going to go play that's the one i'm going to want and that's the one you should go play with so if I believe that if, you know, certainly you can mentally mess up anything, but you ought to be able to be fit and go. Now, you when you get fit, too, you shouldn't just sit there and bang a bunch of drivers because anybody will, you know, I, I usually let you swing one, two times, three at the most. And I'm switching it. You know, I don't want you to get used to it. I want it, it should work or it doesn't work. And when you pick it up, you, you know what it's going to feel like and you know what it's going to hit like and. So you go to the course with that attitude. It should be just fine. It should be better. You know, if you know you fly at 260 and your old one, you fly 240 and you go up to that one bunker and you 250 out, you should already know it's going to clear. Right? Because you've done the work. You know what it's going to do. And we sit in there with our track man and we know exactly how far they're going to fly. We did that at Denver this past week at the Corn Ferry. You know, it's at 5,000 feet. And with the air density, it was about 7,500. So we knew from here in Dallas, it was 12%. And so we had to adjust our numbers to make sure. So these bunkers that they were flying over that normally they would say, boy, that yardage isn't right. Certainly my players knew, hey, dude, you got this by 15 yards. You know, because we know the number. And so they were comfortable with that right away. It's not like they normally hit it that far, but in Denver you do. Yeah, so, right. you know, it's no different for them changing the environment. They have to change tomorrow because, you know, now this week they're in Nebraska. I can't remember exactly. Somewhere over there. And they have the, the yards are going to change. So they're having to adjust. And that's like a new club, right? I mean, all of a sudden up in Denver, they're flying at 335, 340. And they maybe in Nebraska, they fly at 320, 315 or something. So they're adjusting constantly too, and that's no different than somebody changing their clubs tomorrow to a new club that goes further and better. All you, you just need to know the numbers. Now, let's let's talk about the the budget side of this fitting because 
I guess it's also part of asking yourself the question before you go to the fitting because at the one end, you've got stock shafts, right? And then you have aftermarket shafts and you have fitters that will carry, let's say, 20 or 30 different brands of the aftermarket and you have fitters that would carry one brand. Um, how should a person make a decision on that and, and thinking... Because a lot of these shafts are, are anywhere between four to six hundred, I think, and the fitting yeah. on top of that would it, it's a lot of money to invest in. So, what do you say to the person? Let's say is an avid golfer has been playing twenty years, and his driver is the worst club in his bag, but everything else is good. Yeah, he needs to spend the money to make sure that driver's good, and and go to something. You have to trust where you're going. You know, if you go to somebody that's carrying 40 different brands, I mean, maybe you, if you're going to look at all 40 brands, you need to go about 10 times, right? Right. And, and most, <laughs> is, most fitters will gravitate towards, they start liking one brand over another. They'll probably gravitate towards that. You're not going to end up hitting all those different ones. Um, I'm certainly one that, you know, we'll try the stock shaft that it comes in and if that works fine. Um, but I'm only going to do the TPT shafts here. So that's what's going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm convinced it's a better shaft. Uh, these guys have convinced me that it's a better shaft. And what I also know about that TPT shaft is that what I fit you with is what the same thing you're going to get. It, all, if I give 10, 17 highs and put them in a club, the best players in the world can't tell the difference. Mm. And that's not the case with hand-rolled shafts. Is a lot of times people will go in there and they get these things fitted, and then, of course, their club's built for them and it's sent to them, and all of a sudden it doesn't feel like what happened. You know, it doesn't feel, that doesn't feel like what I just got fitted to. That's because it's hard to repeat. In fact, I don't even think they can do it. They can't repeat hand-rolled shafts and have the consistency that each shaft's going to feel exactly the same. I mean... Because we're human. I mean, how are you going to roll a shaft and have it come out the same and, and you do those zeros and 45s of the gra graphite and actually hold that angle exactly as a human? That's why CPT does it in Switzerland with machines. Is they can control the 45s and the, and the zeros of the graphite so that there's one start, one stop to the process and the shaft is consistent. And so that's why I went with that. I don't work for CPT. I, I help them design the shafts, but, you know, that way, because I don't work for them, I can complain if it's not right. I don't, I'm not beholden to them. And if another shaft comes in here of a different brand, um, and it works, I'm for it. I mean, any of my tour players that I coach, if there's another brand that works, we're going to play it because we need to score. So, you know, we shouldn't be necessarily beholden. We should be about what works. And so when these people go invest the money, it should work. And when you come to places, certainly like myself, you're going to actually leave with the driver you were hitting. You're not going to get one sent to you in the mail later. The fitting club, I don't care if 10 people have hit it before you. If that one works, that's the one you're taking. Because the variable of the new head, you know, might have loft differences. You know, there's a, certainly a, a variation uh, quality control that all nine degree drivers aren't nine degrees, right? Mm -hmm. And certain and, and the same brand. So 
we have to know that that could happen too. They might vary as much as the plus or minus a degree. So if you fit somebody and that head might be 10 degrees, it says nine on it, and all of a sudden they get one that's eight, that isn't going to work. That's not going to be the same. So here, you know, yeah, I'll, I have fitting shafts, and then I put another one in. They usually hit it before they leave, and like they can't tell the difference. And they took that head that they were fitted in, and that's the one they took. And then we open up a new one to put back in the demo for the next person. And that way it keeps it consistent and the players get the real thing they paid for. So I'm trying to eliminate variables in my fitting. And I'm telling you, it's hard to get in to see me because <laughs> I'm busy. And, you know, more people should do that. A lot of them don't. A lot of the big box stores are going to get a, a, a different club shipped to you. And that's the nature of the beast. But I would definitely, if you're out there getting fitted, I would I would pressure as best you can to get the club that you were fitting. That's what I would tell people when they go out there and spend, you know, you know, TBT shaft six hundred bucks, and then you had another five hundred for a head and a fitting. I mean, you're at you know thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars before you can blink an eye just for a driver. Mm -hmm. It ought to be what you paid for, you know, and. That's the way I look at it versus you're getting something different. And then you can't, you know, at the same time, I feel sorry for the fitters. Well, that's what we did. And the, the driver doesn't feel the same as what you fitted in. And I get it. I mean, both sides aren't, it, it's, it's kind of tough for both sides on that because, uh, you know, they put the same shaft in there. It just didn't have to be the same shaft as I was hitting. So, you know, that's where I was struggling with fitting all the time is being able to make sure the customer got what they paid for. So I would just watch that. I would pressure whoever you go and get fitted with to take the club that you were hitting and that worked in the bay when you got fitted. And that's hard to do. I would, I would check with before I went and, you know, paid $1,500, you know, I would make sure that place would guarantee that thing is right. And it was just like the one I hit. Um, before I would want to pay that money. Yeah, I think it's very important to what you just said because I don't know if people realize that, you know, there's different shafts that uh, these makers make. As you said, you may buy that shaft that you got fitted for. You walk out and then it breaks and you come back. It's going to be almost impossible to, to replicate that same shaft that you got fitted for, as you said. Um, yep. So five years of using gears and people swinging shafts, two different shafts. I, I found until I met the, the TPT guys, I found two shafts that would perform exactly the same. Give me the same numbers with a player and they were different brands. <laughs> Whoa. That's so that was luck. What? That was total luck. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, What well, that's two different brands. <laughs> so, you know, The profiles are obviously good, and and you can start to fit in some kind of a EI profile. And uh, but don't just limit yourself to if you're going with hand rolled shafts to a one brand. I mean, you might try some different ones in your profile to find uh, what works. I, I remember back before I was CPT, and I had you know one of the top players ever in the world, one of the most money, walk in my bay. And I already knew his profile and the company that we were dealing with was nice enough to send me, you know, I had 20 shafts in here, all the same profile, but different brands. And 
he walked in and his eyes got as big as saucers and he's looking at the wall and he's like, what is that? I said, that's all the shafts that I got for you. He said, we're going to hit all those. I said, I hope not. Hmm. I said, we're going to hit, I know one of them will work. We're just, I don't know which one. So we're going to go through (laughs) and he's hitting them until one of them works. And that's what we did. And about six, seven shafts in, it was perfect. So, you know, I understand the profiles. I understand that. I understand what he needed the shaft to do, but I wasn't sure which one might feel the best and actually let him perform. And that's because I couldn't just say, well, I've always used, I mean, people do that all the time, but I've always used X this and X that and, and, and that's what I've always used. And then you go switch heads and it's a different center of gravity in that head that theoretically the shaft shouldn't work the same. <laughs> right? Right, right. As soon as you change the, the center mass of the head and they're bigger, they're smaller, they're heavier, they're lighter. I mean, that shaft, just because what you hit, that profile is not necessarily going to hit that head. And going back into, you know, same brand, usually we can stay with the same shaft over you know a few iterations of a uh club head but if you switch brands i mean i got tour players with backups and they don't have the same you know shaft it might be a 18 you know in one and a 17 in another to get the same results out of two different heads so you have to watch for that too so there's a lot to this thing when somebody goes out and just goes to their local place there's a lot of homework you should do before you just jump out there and spend you know $1,500 on a driver and and certainly understand what happens when the airlines break it you know <laughs> what happens then you know I've had three of those Absolutely. in the last month you know everybody can google out there one of my tour guys I'm not going to out him on here but one of my tour guys it's out there if you go look I think it's a caddy thing where he stepped under a rope and he dropped the rope down and went across his bag in the cart and the caddy drove off and snapped both his free wood and his driver. Oh no. And this is the Wednesday before the event. <laughs> and, uh, he calls me and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And we FedExed him overnight, the shaft and he put it in. He can't feel the difference. And he was like, that saved me. And he played well that week. But you know, that's on video out there. Y'all can go search that. It's hilarious. And especially the, the, the movies and the, the uh, music they put with it. But, he told me somebody somehow got the rope around there, and then I sent him a text after I thought. I said I found the culprit, and it was him. He did it. The player actually <laughs> did. It. So that was pretty funny. But the, uh, but that's you know. But if you have a, a proper shaft that's made correctly and consistently, we don't have any problem. I had a corn fairy guy that the airlines broke his shaft. I replaced it, and he doesn't know the difference. So that's that's why I'm a TPT conscious person, and why I've just gone strictly with them and and because of just that thing right there of, of something happening to a shaft and then you go on this search and you've just spent $1,500 right and it doesn't feel the same or you know and some people get lucky and they get used to the new one and they eventually hit it okay I'd just rather swing the same way each time and it go the same Yeah, it's a really, really important takeaway that I hope my, my listeners realize. Says, look, you can. I know guys have bought drivers stock, cost them two, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred. Like, mm-hmm. man, geez, I mean, you could spend fifteen hundred or a thousand dollars more and get fitted and never have to buy another driver again. 
We're talking the shaft mainly. Because the stock shaft, you, yeah, it's, it's, I, I mean, it's, you just don't know. You just, if you're lucky, you're lucky. If you're not, you're just not going to be lucky. Yeah, you're not. And, and sometimes, to be honest, sometimes the stock shaft would turn out to be the best. Right. If so you're you don't lucky. necessarily have to play, you know, if it works, I wouldn't go buy an extra shaft. If you hit it the best, use it. That's fine. You know, and, and it doesn't cost you that extra bunch of money to go out there and, and, and do it. So sometimes, but again, if you're in that store and you're hitting that driver and it's a stock driver, stock shaft, and you hit that one good, take it. Even if you pay them an extra $100 over the retail price, take it. Because it's going to be what you actually like versus the chance you take when you get a new one, you know, ah. coming across it because it won't feel the same. Okay. That's an important thing. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. And that's a great advice then. Okay. You know, there's some, you know, a lot of them won't let you do that, but man, that's, <laughs> it'd be worth it. You know, if it's a $500 driver and you hand them $600, i am taking this one. You know, and people, the stores ought to do that. The one, you know, I don't make money off the of drivers. I sell them for Texas Star, um, the actual heads and stuff. But people don't realize that Texas Star benefits from that because at the end of a cycle of whatever brand we have, they're brand new. So, you know, because we've cycled them out, you know, every player leaves with the head to save they hit right so the next one goes right into play is brand new so at the end of the cycle you got brand new demos that you can sell and make money off of and Very sell nice. them for yeah because they're brand new there's not like they're you know if you just keep hitting the same demo for the entire cycle of a shaft say a year that thing's gonna look horrible you know by the end and so those clubs are worth nothing but if you're you know i used to do that when i was uh had my own range and did some things like that i would I would always just sell the ones that I had and just add the next demo, right? Mm. And then by the end, I would always have fresh and those demos are worth more and you paid less for them, obviously. And so everybody gets a good deal when they get a demo that's basically, I mean, very often we end up with them still in the wrappers because we have ordered one and then they change and then that demo's now in the wrapper. Right. So right, we end up right. with those a lot and... If at work at the worst, they've only been hit a couple of times before somebody's bought it. So um, I don't know why more uh, places don't do that. Um, but I would certainly, if I went out there, I'd pressure them to do that because it's better for everybody, in my opinion, even the store that's doing it. Right, right. And it's uh, been a great conversation. I could literally talk to you for hours. Um, They're kind of coming to the end. What are uh, what are some of the things you just want to kind of promote? Is there anything going on that you want your uh, our listeners to find out? Maybe a website. What's your website? Um, uh, my website SinclairGolf.com. Welcome. Look on there. My email's on there. You can you can call me. I'm on Facebook, John Sinclair. Uh, I know I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but I think it's JRS2 on Twitter. And an Instagram, I have no idea. So, You're on Twitter. I know, I know, I know I'm on there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on, I think it's JRS2, two eyes, I, I, on Twitter. And then, <laughs> I, and then, yeah, I don't do that much, but I, I can't remember the Instagram. But anyway, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I'm hard to get in to see at this point. I'm probably a month and a half out, minimum. Okay. Um, but that, you know, people are willing to wait. They can certainly come in and, and 
I, I'll see anybody, and, and certainly for a fitting. Um, if you like TPTs, and and just uh, if I promote anything, I'm working right now on. Uh, we launched our fairway wood shafts. I'm very proud of those. So they made them specifically for fairway wood. Those just came out, I think March. Um, I'm pretty close to the hybrids, and those are already out on tour in tour bags. Already uh, had one out there on the wind. And those should be launched pretty soon. And I'm really excited because I started on wedges uh, recently too. And probably in the next couple of years, we'll have wedge, wedge shafts coming out. And uh, I'm really excited about those. Yeah. Graphite? Yeah. The first, my first uh, trial at that, the thing was, is, it was sick. It was spinning. I, I put it out on all those social medias the other day because I was so proud of it the spins I was getting off of them is kind of where I'm starting. I'm going to make a shaft that spins a lot. And then we're going to uh, build out the line, you know, with different spins and launches. And it should be uh, very interesting because with the graphite, as long, when you can make them as consistent as what TPT can, you know, that's going to change the narrative out there that, oh, that graphite iron shafts and wedge shafts can't be consistent and all that. That's false they actually can be more consistent than steel and we're going to prove that and i think uh the hybrid shafts are definitely going to be on that right road because they're really good and then the when i finish with these wedge shots i think people out there in the world will change their minds on uh, graphite even than their iron because eventually we'll get around to iron but uh i think people will the design capabilities are so much wider with graphite like this new wedge shaft that i'm looking at it's 130 grand Holy so crap. We're gonna, right and we can make them lighter right we can that's not the problem you know it was always hard to get a heavy enough graphite shaft for a lot of people you know for a better player to play it so we started at the heaviest 130 gram like a you know an s400 or something like that right i guess to be the same as a steel S four hundred, right, so, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and then we'll make Damn them lighter Lord. as needed, and we'll we'll come across. You know, so we'll come across the board, and then we if we can make them as as uh, uh, dynamic as the driver and fairway shafts and all that. I mean, people are going to switch, and the the ability to fine tune all your irons eventually will come along too. That's several years down the road. The wedges are still probably a couple of years i got a lot of work to do on them but you can you can just imagine that if we have design capabilities that uh we can reproduce over and over and get certain flights and spins that we want um that's more consistent than steel and there won't be a spine in them and we'll have uh it'll blow everybody away i just know so i am excited about what's coming in the future did, um, wait, did you I, say it, it's going to be more consistent than steel? Wow, that yes, is... Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I said that. And I've already done some iron shafts uh, where it was definitely uh, way better through the set. Um, couldn't quite get them through. Um, had to make them a little different at the butt end to uh, get them, but it was definitely... We had, I had several tour players hit them and I hit them and and it was mind-blowing how much better they were. Okay. Now, when we get the one thing that we need to figure out in that, um, that's, I think, what we've done now with the wedges. I think we've got it figured out. So 
that'll be uh, something that's really cool coming down the pipe uh, in the future. Don't run out tomorrow and think they're happening because this is still <laughs> years off. Right, that's kind but of I'm the future. There. I'm pre- you asked me what I was excited about, and I'm really excited about what that uh, the future holds in that area because that's what I was trying to attack from the first. You know, I, I went after the drivers first five years ago, and I think we've got that, and those are tour proven. We've got more wins, I think, than any other brand in the last three years um, on the tours worldwide. And just won again last week on the big tour. So, and the week before on the ladies tour and three weeks ago on the corn ferry. So, um, Yeesh. I think it's four weeks ago, but so we're, we're, we're proven that, uh, we can win and we can put it in the best players hands and they can do it. And then we are also proving that the average player are benefiting from that exact same technology. Uh, it's not like that it's different what the tour player gets over the average person we're making it for everybody and we with those design characteristics you can go all the way across the board and make it so if we can keep the cost right you know it doesn't become cost prohibitive everybody will see that graphite is better than steel wow wow that's 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 crazy and that's, i'm excited about that uh, yeah I, i'm 100 percent sure of that it's just whether or not we can get it to the market. You know, there's a lot of great things out there that, that are better than everything else we use, but we just can't afford them. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> hope, hopefully this won't be that case, but the, the initial r- reports and what I've seen, and I was super excited uh, about what's about to come. And the, and the hybrids, I'm, I'm pretty excited about those because we're able to flight the ball uh, much different. The ball doesn't hook, which a lot of better players hook hybrids. And of course they balloon up. Well, we're getting that under control. And so wow. those be the next thing that people see. And the, those are already uh, getting a pretty good wow factor on tour. Very nice. Now we're going to kind of switch gears and, and get, uh, hopefully get to know you a little better. It's towards the end of the show. So I asked the same question that I asked uh, a guy you you know, uh, John Stabler. Oh, he yeah. Some, he has some interesting replies. I want to hear what you're going to say. So well, he's, he's my mentor. Dr. Deborah Grant and John Stabler, yeah, my, my mentors. I, those guys, they've helped me more in golf than anybody. Right, and he actually uh, mentioned you, if I'm not mistaken, mentioned you about the golf psych, which... I interviewed him about that, and uh, that's how I kind of got connected to where where you were. Um, yeah, I'm one of uh, their master instructors. I've been with them now for 24 years. Right, right. Wow, wow, wow. 24 years. Yeah, it's uh, I, his interview, one of the takeaways that I got from him, the major one was, uh, <laughs> it's funny, is in between shots to get your mind off uh, golf. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he was like, what? Get your yeah, mind off the game? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing golf. How can I get my mind off the game? But I finally figured out what he was talking about. It's helped me tremendously. And I just wanted to kind of drop his name, saying that he mentioned you, I think, during the interview, if I'm not mistaken. And that's another guy that uh, really enjoyed it. So I got the questions okay. for you if you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so I'm going to assume that there's going to be a book written about your life. And what would you like the title to be? 
Oh, okay. So didn't see that one coming. <laughs> so a book about my life, what I want the title to, to be. I'm going to, I'll use what my granddad told me that he wanted on his uh, tombstone. I just want to be known as a good old boy. Oh, very nice. So I think I'll, I'll stick with his uh, saying on that because I've always found that one to be good and nobody didn't didn't say he was a good old boy so <laughs> if, if i can go through and and you can end it like that and everybody thought i was a good old boy then that'd be great very nice that sounds great um now the book is obviously going to turn into a movie so who would you want to play you in a movie either anybody who's alive or dead or whomever john wayne of course <laughs> there couldn't be anybody else the duke Of course. Yeah, the Duke. I don't even know there's any other movies made that he wasn't in. So <laughs> all the young people out there go, who's John Wayne? Oh, who are you? That's like, right. Like, I could watch uh, True Grit and Rooster Cogburn and all the black and white movies like oh God, every yes. day. That's just so. I would say that even though I'm way shorter and not near as handsome. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be John Wayne just because that's my favorite of all time. Now, you want to guess what uh, John said as a character, as the actor? Oh, God. Who would I... I, I wouldn't even know who, who would I guess. Um, I'll tell you if you want me to tell you. Yeah, well, tell me. So I'll make a fool of myself guessing. All right. So the first one he picked, uh, he picked two. He first came back and said, okay, let's see. Paul Newman. I said, oh, cool hand, Luke. Yeah, Paul Newman, I can see that. That would be good, yeah. And then he came back after that and said, I want to change that to, uh, you know, Mr. Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood. And I was like, okay. Oh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> ah, no, he's a Paul Newman guy. <laughs> okay. John okay. Stabler, I think he's a Paul Newman guy. Is it he's more of a, a Paul Eastwood. Newman? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Paul Newman. Okay. I, I, I bet you Dr. Graham, Deborah would uh, agree with me on that. We'd say Paul Newman, yeah, cool hand Newman. I think we'd go with Paul, yeah. <laughs> I think we'd go with that. <laughs> All right, so finally, like in any book or any movie towards the end, there's going to be credits and acknowledgments. Now, who are some of the people or, I don't know, a book, maybe a person, a mentor, or anybody throughout your journey, which obviously still going, that you would like to thank or or remember or anything? Well, the first 20 to 30 names on that uh, credit would go to my wife, Sherry, for sure. Very nice. Because you can't, you can't do any of this without her. People, Anybody that knows us and knows her knows that she is 80% of what happens here because she takes care of everything. And so that's definitely that and as far as the coaching goes I've already said it it's John Stabler and, and Dr. Deborah Graham I look at myself as a mental coach first oh really and absolutely and you know I, I started with them when I was playing and and to understand that how the mind works and how to get a player to even change their physical ability you know change their motor pattern it starts mentally You know, because you, you have to be able to let go of outcome. You have to be able to control your body and not allow the outcome to uh, affect your swing. And so them helping me understand and going through as many personality profiles and working with as many uh, 
different levels of players through the golf psych system. Um, that's the core of my teaching, and that goes into everything. And everybody that comes in here thinks I'm some technical guy. You know, he does all this stuff with the shaft. Does all this. You know, I'm mostly known on the tour for my 3D, and I have you know captured more players than anybody, just about I'm sure, or at least as many tour players on 3D. So everybody looks at me that way. And, uh, but it's definitely, I'm a mental coach first. And I owe that to both of them. And, you know, John Stabler has been right there with me the whole time. And I still, you know, love it when I call them and talk to them and, and ask questions. And I, I probably never talk to them that I don't learn something. So, um, I would, I definitely put them on the top of the, on the top of the list. And I'm going to, go back and credit TPT for finally making me something that I wanted exactly the way I wanted you know all these technologies I go into and I try to help them build them and and work with them and I never end up exactly the way I want them but so far TPT's done everything I've asked and uh, I've, I've had a pleasure working with them and and knowing that that's gonna set with golf and make golf better I'm I'm pretty cool with that and and golf psych is something that makes everybody better it doesn't even matter if you have, you know, the greatest talent or not. If you can control your mind, you can control your swing. So, and that goes for anybody at any level. And uh, certainly um, on the science side, we say uh, Dr. Sasha McKenzie, Dr. Rob Neal, Dr. Phil Cheatham, uh, Dr. Young-Hoon Kwan, um, probably forgetting somebody, Zizhak Rive over in uh I've had lots of conversations with him and all these uh, biomechanics that I think that I've learned so much from on the physical side and, and the physics part to help me uh, understand how things work better. So I would definitely have to credit all of them for helping me uh, get that understanding of that part, how the body works. So that's probably enough. That'd be enough credit. I'll go with that. But th those are a bunch of people that have helped. That's very nice. Um, is there anything else in final that you want to say about fitting? Or if somebody's sitting on the edge and kind of having second thoughts, what can you say to that person who was just an avid golfer, right? Not somebody who's going to be playing, who wants to play golf for the rest of their natural life, I guess, and kind of been on the fence. And um, I was thinking, man, should I get well, fitted? You should. The answer is absolutely yes, you should. And you should find somebody that you trust and you like and that is going to help you um, get that right club in your hand. And it is hard. Everybody has, you know, tries to do a whole bag fitting in an hour. You know, when I was doing whole bag fittings, you would come in four times at a minimum to get the whole bag done, sometimes five times. Um, but I would go and get fit because the, I'll, I'll put it this way. What we, uh, Colin Swatton, another good friend, and I would, I would throw him, uh, as credit too, as a longtime friend. And he was the coach, uh, Jason Day forever. And I remember sitting down with him talking about fitting one time and, and the way we approached it on the, on Jason is you can't win a NASCAR drive, you know, race driving a VW. You're just not going to win. Right. So <laughs> if, if we can get you the finely tuned car, 
then you have a chance to drive it, and then it's the skill of the player. So it doesn't matter what level. If you can at least have the finely tuned equipment that if you can perform, it will work, then that's the, as good as we could ask. So that's why you should go get fit. Is that at least you know the the idea that you you're not good enough or you know only good players or this or that that's ridiculous. Um, everybody needs something that works for them, and if you find somebody that can give you that, you will enjoy the game much better, much more, I should say. So go get fit. Well, it's great advice. And with that said, John. Um... You know, I know you're a busy guy, and I really appreciate you uh, giving us the time to kind of get to know you better and get some lessons from you. And uh, this platform is always open for you. If you have anything you want to promote or, or whatever, just hit me up, and uh, we'll do it. Um, hopefully, one of these days, uh, I'll come out and see you. Uh, on that note, I'm going to close the show. If you don't have anything else, uh, we're good. We're good to go. Once again, I appreciate it. All right. Well, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I laughed when you said it would only be 30 minutes because I know I'm long-winded. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this only takes 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, you don't know me. Well, me too. So, and I again, I appreciate you uh, staying on and, and and you know giving us some lessons about fitting and about life in general. Really, golf psych is in general golf psych will will work on the golf course and will no doubt help you on the golf off the golf course. Um, 100%. Yeah. Um, so check out John, uh, his website. He's on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I saw something on Twitter that you, uh, sorry, um, somebody texted you, some lady texted you, and she said something, and I just started laughing after I saw it. I think she said something. Oh, the, the lady, yeah, <laughs> that she had asked me to call her. She had sent word for somebody through somebody, hey, would you have John call me? And so I called her, and then. <laughs> I get her voicemail and immediately I see a text that says, never call me again. Or I can't remember. Don't call me ever again or something. And I was started laughing so hard because I could tell that she thought I was trying to sell her like a warranty on her car oh. or something. She was tired of it, right? So she was sick and tired of it. So I laughed so hard. And then she did, after I left the message, she called me back and it was like, oh, I'm so sick of those calls. And oh, I thought man. that was so hilarious. I did post that. And I thought that's the way it's come to. So, you know, if if you're if you are stranded on the side of the road, don't expect anybody to stop for you because you've had all these opportunities to get that warranty and you didn't do it. So that's right. <laughs> I mean, anybody knows that's funny because everybody's getting ten calls of those a day. Right. right. So, well, so that's, that's good. I appreciate it. All right. It. Well, you have a good day. You too. Uh, I've got to run. And, Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me on. All right, you take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast with John Sinclair. Let's see, final takeaway. If you play golf maybe once or twice a month, you know what, don't worry about getting fitted. My advice to you, Same advice that I got when I read a book from uh, Dr. Joseph Parent. Develop a sense of humor. Seriously, develop a sense of humor. Learn how to enjoy the game without being good at it. It's possible. It's very possible. Now, if you're like me, who's 
been playing golf for 20 years and I want to get better, well, get fitted. Get fitted. If it's important enough for you, get fitted. Go see people like John Sinclair. It is critical that you get fitted. If you don't, you're just spending your money. You're wasting your time and you're spending your money. Once in a while, you may get lucky. Like John said, if you're going to go to a box store like the PGA store and you get fitted for a driver, when you leave, take that exact driver that you hit. I repeat, the same exact driver, the same exact club that you hit, that you got fitted for, and leave. Because what they're going to do, more than likely, will say, okay, this is the driver for you, and they will ship one to you. According to John, you don't want to do that because it's not going to be the same feel. It's not going to be the same specs. Rare. Very rare. So again, listen. Make sure you take, you buy the same exact club that you got fitted for, that you hit at the PGA store, Golf Tech, wherever you go. Take it. Take that same exact club. Now with regards to John. Wow, what a smart dude. I actually did just uh, further research on him. Just kind of a general uh, research on John. Just to get an idea of the kind of guy he is. And I tell you what. This is a forward thinking person. A guy who's not afraid of the truth. A guy who's not afraid to test current theories. Even his own theories, general industry theories, things that the industry has been looking at and saying this is the fact. And he's not afraid to take those and prove them either way. Now he looks at the results and if the results point in one direction, that's where John is going. Again, he's not afraid of the truth. He's a person who's not scared, is willing to rethink, right? Rethink his ideas. And we need people like John Sinclair. The world, humanity needs people like John Sinclair. That's how society progresses. That's how we as human beings get better, right? Because we're willing to challenge our own ideas, our own theories about life, about whatever. John is doing that in the industry. And we are, I'll tell you what, we are so blessed that he is in the golf industry and helping us uh, progress. One of the things that he was talking about was the, the graphite shaft is uh, installed one I believe on his wedge and some of the numbers that uh, that I was discussing were just crazy out of this world now he's talking about down the road the graphite shaft is uh, it's going to replace the steel shaft on the irons and um, he believes that the graphite shaft that they're creating or, or building is going to be more even more consistent than a steel shaft and I Man, I believe him because the guy knows what he's talking about. I'm just having a really hard time accepting that fact because, I don't know, I guess I'm more traditionalist, more, I guess I'm hard-headed. I do not want to, I don't know, I just think it's wrong to be hitting a 9-iron with a, a graphite shaft. I'm, I'm having a hard time even saying that, even picturing it. But, tell you what... If that graphite shaft I put on a 9-iron, a 3-iron is going to make me score better, well, 
I'm going graphite. Uh, once again, blessed to have spoken to John Sinclair. Really cool dude. Man who's not afraid of the truth. A rethinker. Innovator. Go see him if you get a chance. And on that note, thank you.